Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast. Today's episode is going to be very special because we're profiling at-large member of the Urology Care Foundation Board, Dr. Sanford J. Siegel. Dr. Siegel is the founder of Chesapeake Urology Associates. Dr. Siegel has also recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Let's listen to a clip of Dr. Siegel. And I think that's my message. If it can happen to Sandy Siegel, who uh, runs a uh, multi-million dollar urology group with 126 doctors, uh, 1,100 employees, uh, that uh, and has been practicing urology for 35 years, taking care of men with prostate cancer for 35 years, if it can happen to me, well, darn, it can happen to anybody. Dr. Siegel also shared with us his journey from prostate cancer doctor and founder of one of the most successful urology practices in the world to how he stands and faces life today as a prostate cancer patient and what his message is towards men who may be at risk. It was a very powerful, moving episode, and Dr. Siegel was very candid in his conversation with us. We hope you learn from Dr. Siegel's journey, and we hope you also enjoy this episode. Good morning. My name is Sanford Siegel. I'm a urologist, and I've been a urologist for over 35 years. And people ask me all the time, you know, what got me interested in urology? And it, it's a very simple story. When you're a medical student, you choose your what you want to do, internal medicine, surgery, what part of surgery, in your junior year. And in your junior year, you do uh, rotations. And one of my rotations was in urology. And at the University of Maryland, the chief of urology there was a gentleman named Dr. John Young. And he was one of the classiest, nicest men that you ever want to meet. And I said, if everybody didn't know much about urology, but I said, if, if everybody in urology was like Dr. Young, that's what I wanted to be. So that really was my first introduction to urology. And so that was my focus. When I, uh, when I finished medical school, I, I went to Temple University and was in a general surgery program there for two years as a resident. And then 19, 1980 started my urology residence with residency with Dr. Richard Kendall. Now, Dr. Kendall, uh, like Dr. Young, was an amazing, amazing man. He was a great mentor, a great teacher, and he continued to uh, to pique my interest in urology and the aspects of urology like prostate cancer and prostate disease and things like that. And so I spent three years at Temple University, um, had great training there from Dr. Kendall and others who uh, were focused in, in the prostate cancer world, like Dr. Barry Stein. And uh, after, I, after I finished my training there, I went to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where I wasn't really happy in a small town. And I moved back to Baltimore in 1985 and started my own practice here. And I was in solo practice here uh, starting in 1985 until 1992 when I took my first partner. That really was the evolution of Chesapeake Urology as it evolved over the last 30 plus years. But I've always been interested in all aspects of uh, general urology, stone disease, erectile dysfunction, incontinence, BPH, and prostate cancer. You can't be a urologist and not have have some interest in prostate cancer. Back then, uh, most urologists were either in a solo practice or two two-person practice. And if you didn't do everything, you didn't do anything. So, um, so I did a lot of prostate cancer back then. 
And uh, fortunately for all of us in urology, uh, Dr. Dr. Pat Walsh in the late 80s, he revolutionized, revolutionized the way we took care of prostate cancer patients in a surgical manner. And uh, we all learned uh, um, how to do radical prostatectomies. Before then, most men were being treated with, uh, with radiation therapy. Seed implantation was just coming into uh, practices, but mostly people were treated with radiation. If you did radical surgery on them, it was more barbaric than it was the fine, detailed surgery that Dr. Walsh revolutionized. In the early days, and PSA came out in the late 80s, so we had some some way to find these men. Unfortunately, today we know that we probably operated, or not probably, we did operate on many men that didn't need it. But back then, uh, the PSA was our only measure. We didn't really understand what it meant to have an elevated PSA. So all of us uh, in practice back then did a did a ton of surgery on prostate, uh, on men with prostate cancer. And over the years, as, uh, as Chesapeake Urology grew and, um, and, and I had less and less role in, in, in the clinical practice every day, and I turned that over to, turn my practice over to some of my younger doctors who are now fellowship trained in advanced prostate cancer treatments, uh, robotics. You know, they started doing these high, high precision uh, surgeries. I really stopped taking care of the surgical part of it. Yes, I still delivered, you know, the talks about prostate cancer well into the, um, or after 2010 in that, in that range. And I, so I still took care of patients with prostate cancer. You know, life really changed for me in 2017 when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, it was, um, it was, uh, you know, obviously a difficult uh, diagnosis for me to take as a urologist. Um, three years before in 2014, I had an elevated PSA. I had an MRI, which was totally negative, And I had a prostate biopsy, which showed BPH. I did get my PSA every year. My PSA was stable, elevated, but still stable. Until 2017, I went to my primary care physician who said, I, I think I feel something that's a little irregular in your prostate. Um, I went and got I had my PSA through him. It was a little bit more elevated. It's around nine. Um, I had an MRI, which this time was uh, horrendous. <laughs> I went from, from uh, I say, zero to 60 or, or being normal to being very abnormal. Um, I had a biopsy. It went from a negative biopsy to having a significant prostate cancer, Gleason 9, which as a urologist, I know that's bad. Uh, there's nothing good that you can say about a Gleason 9 disease, probably f- less than... 5% have Gleason 9s or Gleason 10s. And, and unfortunately, I was one of those Gleason 9s. So for about 24 hours, I felt sorry for myself. Actually, my family was out of town. I was here by myself. It was in December. My family was in Florida. I did not tell them uh, that I was getting the biopsy. When I got the diagnosis, I was alone. And I felt very much alone. Um, I felt sorry for myself, as I said, for 24 hours. And then... Um, I thought, man, maybe even less than 24 hours. And then I thought two things. One, how do I tell my family? I have two daughters. Uh, one was married and had two, my twin, my twin grandchildren. The other one was, was uh, engaged. You know, how do I tell them? And then the other part is, you know, how can my disease make a difference in other people's lives? 
as you know, uh, for the last uh, 12 years, uh, we at Chesapeake Urology have have uh, tried to educate, advocate, and raise money for prostate cancer research through our zero prostate cancer runs, uh, the free screens we do in the African-American community. So I thought immediately, you know, what impact that would have on the people that we take care of and also the message that, that I give and others give in the community. You know, when you go and speak at these churches and you're up there just as a urologist talking to African-American men about being screened and the risk they have of prostate cancer, one in four African-American men getting prostate cancer, they listen, uh, but I'm not sure that they hear it as well as if I was an African-American man giving the message or even a, a white guy um, telling him I have prostate cancer. And I thought, well, now I can tell them not only do I preach about prostate cancer, but I am one of them. I do have prostate cancer and I have, you know, bad case of it. I recognize it. I'm not going to sit in the closet and not tell anybody about it. I'm going to, you know, work harder to educate, advocate, and raise money for it. And that's exactly what I did. So in the first, uh, you know, 24, 48 hours, I just figured out, you know, how I'm going to tell my family and how I'm going to tell, you know, what I'm going to do to make even a bigger difference than I do and Chesapeake Urology does even today. So moving forward, uh, um, we were going on a cruise, actually, and I told my wife, uh, obviously, she was devastated. It just wasn't the right time to tell my children. I did not want to ruin their time on the cruise. Um, and my daughter was going to hopefully get engaged real soon, and I didn't want to ruin that. So I wasn't able to tell my daughters uh, until March, and I was diagnosed in December. That was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Telling my wife wasn't that difficult, although she took it, you know, not well as you would expect. But telling my daughters was really, really hard. And, um, you know, I had to remain strong because I knew they wouldn't. And because uh, they think their father is invincible, immortal. And uh, I am their rock and they've always depended on me. And unfortunately, I've spoiled them, you know, to the nth degree. And uh, they always... They always tell they tell their husbands now that uh, you may think you're number one, but my father's always number one. You're never you can be one and a half, but you're only but my daddy's my daddy's number one. So once I told them, uh, you know, every phone call is how do you feel? You know, are you sure? Are you lying to me? Are you not telling me something? But um, you know, I'm I'm happy to say that uh, you know after my treatment. Um, my PSA is undetectable, and I feel fine. I really do. I had, uh, in uh, early 2017, I had um, I started my hormonal ablation, uh, getting um, uh, the drug Lupron and Xtandi, another drug uh, that decreases the androgens uh, in your body. And I had external beam radiation, and I had a seed implantation. So I went uh, all in. I did not have chemotherapy. I you know, after discussion with uh, my friends in the urology world, uh, and I was treated here at Chesapeake Urology, and um, I felt that this was the best method for me. Um, I did not have, you know, when I got my bone scan for the first time, I was sure I was going to have metastatic disease. And let me tell you what a relief that was uh, to get that bone scan. I looked at the scan. I go, oh, that looks clean. I had a CAT scan. 
again, I thought, oh, I was going to have lymph nodes all over the place, and that was clean. So I was very relieved uh, that I did not have metastatic disease. I had significant local disease. I had high-grade Gleason 9 disease. So I know it was bad, but I was hoping that got it just in the nick of time, so to speak. So now I'm about uh, 15 months out uh, from treatment. I remain on my hormones, uh, both Xtandi and Lupron. I had my PSA today, uh, so I, I, uh, my anxiety level is up high. I'm sure my blood pressure is up high right now, uh, waiting for that blood test. And uh, now I understand all these years of treating men with prostate cancer how anxiety producing this disease is in so many ways. And I think what has changed me? People ask me, what has changed me? Well, obviously, you know, I'm more passionate about this, about the disease. I'm more passionate about education. I'm more passionate about advocacy. I'm more passionate about spreading the word about uh, the importance of uh, screening and so forth. And, uh, but I'm also, I'm certainly much more empathetic. I, I'm, I'm a pretty empathetic guy anyway. I guess that's why I run, I've run Chesapeake Urology for 30 years. And, and so I, I know, uh, you know, what's important to people, how to make people feel good. But, uh, when you get cancer and you own the disease, whether it's diabetes, whether you own diabetes, whether you own, whether you own, own any cancer, or you own anything, you know, you become more sensitized to it and how people react to you and, and what people say. So I certainly, um, I certainly feel different, uh, emotionally. I feel different. Uh, I'm much more empathetic. My, my tolerance level is much different. Things don't bother me as much as they used to because they seem less important than, uh, than what I'm going through and what other people are going through. I have much more sensitivity for, for what other people go for, whether it's cancer, whether it's problems at home, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever is financial, whatever issue. I have much more empathy and uh, empathy for people than I think that I've ever had before. You know, I think about the future a lot, obviously. Um, my life has changed in so many ways, not only in the cancer. Uh, my life at Chesapeake Urology has, uh, has changed. Uh, I'm now chairman of the board. I don't run the company anymore, so I have a lot more free time to think about what I'm going to, going to do with my life. So right now, uh, although I do not run the company, I still am actively involved in, in the advocacy part of um, prostate cancer, raising awareness, continue to do the um, uh, the free screenings in the African-American community, uh, continue to speak in African-American churches about prostate cancer and, and health, health issues in the African-American community in general. Do I think about this disease a lot? Well, I'll tell you, you know, with when you're on hormone ablation, uh, it's like a woman going through uh, menopause, right? You get those hot, spl- hot flashes. So what I say to people is I'm reminded about eight to 12 times a day that I have prostate cancer. I think if I didn't get the hot flashes, I probably wouldn't think about it every day, but I do. And every time I go down in my basement and have to exercise, I think, oh God, I hate exercising, but I have to do it because I'm on the hormones. I do have prostate cancer and it's very important exercise when you're on these drugs. I hate it every day, but I I wake up and I go, man, you got cancer, you got to go down there. And so those are the things I think about every day. As far as my family, you know, I guess everybody looks to uh, 
to milestones say, I just want to make it there. And while my babies uh, are going to be four in June, uh, I know I'm making it to their fourth birthday, but there'll be a bar and bat mitzvah in nine years. And uh, so I'm setting my target for nine years. Beyond that, I- I'm not looking. I just want to be healthy uh, for them. Uh, they love their baba and they, they want, I'm sure they're going to want me around and uh, I want to be around for them. My children both are married now. I know how important I am in their lives, and I want to be around for them. Uh, I'm never going to be around forever, uh, but I like to be around. Uh, my goal now is just to make sure I'm there for my grandchildren um, uh, in nine years when they get when they have their special day. Uh, I've been taking care of men with prostate cancer for a long time, and uh, usually don't get to you get to uh, know them uh, fairly well. And look, like anybody, like any. Uh, all people in life, you know, some have a glass half full, some have a glass half empty. I'm a glass almost totally full. So I always feel good about life. I feel good about myself. Um, and I feel good that, um, that I can make a difference. You don't have to be a urologist to make a difference. You know, we have people here at Chesapeake Urology who uh, are not urologists, yet they continue to make a big difference. They work with us in our, in our uh, programs that we provide for men with prostate cancer. Uh, bladder cancer and other things. So there's a lot of opportunity for men. But I think if you're a, if you're a glass half full kind of guy and you always have a positive attitude, I think that should remain. Um, if you're a guy who, who uh, is a glass half empty kind of guy, I don't know if this changes your personality. Uh, I think that, um, you know, for me, uh, I've always been an upbeat guy. I've always felt been positive. This disease really challenges that because it's it's a bad disease. Um, I guess I could sit back and say, oh, woe is me. But what good is that going to do me? What good is it going to do anybody to sit back and go, oh, I've got cancer. I'm going to just sit around and, and let it let it take take me over. Um, you have to fight back. But some people just are, you know, want to keep it quiet. I'll tell you a story. You know, when I was, um, before I had my disease, you know, probably 12 years ago, uh, a um, WJZ TV called me up and said, you know, we want to do a segment on prostate cancer. Uh, do you know anybody that can speak to that? Do you have a patient that could speak to that? So I called up uh, Pastor Hoffman Brown. I said, Pastor, you know, I need you to speak on prostate cancer. You're pastor to, you know, a Wayland Baptist Church, big time church down down on uh, Garrison Boulevard. I said, you know, I need you to talk. He goes, I haven't told anybody. I haven't even told I haven't told my congregation. I said, Pastor, you know, you're an African American pastor with an important with an important message out there. You need to come out and tell people what you have, and you need to come and speak to WJZ TV with me. And he did that. But some people just want to hide, you know, what they have. And I think it's important to help, you know, uh, other men just realize that this can happen to them. And I think that's my message. If it can happen to Sandy Siegel, who uh, runs a uh, multi-million dollar urology group with 126 doctors, uh, 1,100 employees, uh, that uh, and has been practicing urology for 35 years, taking care of men with prostate cancer for 35 years, if it can happen to me, well, darn, it can happen to anybody. And that's the message out there, and that's what every message should be. Because if you're a man with prostate cancer out there, and you have a son, he could get it. If, if uh, Because there's a higher incidence of prostate cancer in families, 
And, and even if you don't have sons, you have brothers, you have friends, you have a father, you know, uh, you know, anybody can get prostate cancer. And, and if you're quiet about it, you, you're not helping anybody. But if you can influence one person to get a PSA that does have prostate cancer and save his life, because the earlier you diagnose this disease, the more curative it is especially in the African-American community. In the African-American community, if you diagnose this disease early, you're just as curable as white. Yet, African-Americans die more frequently from this disease because they don't get diagnosed as early. So the message is that uh, you can be a glass half full and you can be a glass half empty, but you need to be able to talk about what's going on in your life so you can affect somebody else's life in a positive manner. And that concludes the first part of this special two-part series of the Urology Care Podcast, profiling Dr. Sandy Siegel and his unique journey from treating prostate cancer patients to becoming one himself. Let's keep in mind something critical that Dr. Siegel said during this conversation. You know, after my treatment, my PSA is undetectable. I had my PSA today, uh, so I, I, uh, my anxiety level is up high. I'm sure my blood pressure is up high right now, uh, waiting for that blood test. And uh, now I understand all these years of treating men with prostate cancer, how anxiety-producing this disease is in so many ways. That's right. On the day this podcast was recorded, Dr. Siegel actually had his blood drawn for a PSA test. Now, he wouldn't have the results until after the weekend. This podcast episode was recorded on a Friday morning, and Dr. Siegel wouldn't learn about his tests until a Monday morning. But we came back on Monday morning to visit Dr. Siegel and get his results with him live. So stay tuned to the Urology Care Podcast. Next Thursday morning, we will play episode two of this special two-part series profiling Dr. Sandy Siegel, and we'll be with him when he reads the text message from his doctor indicating his PSA results. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, the official foundation of the American Urological Association.